0: I'm glad it's Family Worship Sunday, it's always a good, uh, good Sunday, glad to have the kids in the room and middle schoolers and high schoolers, it's a great time. Uh, you can help me answer this question, uh, and I hope that the answer uh, you are familiar with, because if not, that means that I am getting old, um, but has anyone ever heard of Accelerated Reader? Acceler- Is that a thing still? Like, do they still do that? Yes! I'm not old yet, okay? When Accelerated Reader dies, I've officially entered into old-dom. Yeah, I don't know if that's a word, but we'll make it one. Accelerated Reader, I don't know if you know this about me, uh, maybe the first time you saw me, you saw my surfer dude meet Shaggy from Scooby-Doo kind of hair, and you were like, this guy has always been really, really cool and awesome, Uh, That is not necessarily true, okay? I'm going to give you some evidence. This was me as I entered sixth grade. Sixth grade, excuse me. All right, you'll notice I was wearing glasses. I do not wear contacts currently. Since the sixth grade, I broke those glasses and have never put them on my face again. True story, true story. I am convinced that my eyesight will be better without them. Or at least other people's eyesight will be. (laughs) The problem wasn't with Accelerator, Accelerated Reader that, uh, that I didn't like to read books because I loved to read books. The problem was the books that I liked to read didn't, didn't really offer any points, okay? So I was like, man, I got this nerd thing down, love to read, I'm going to find the book with the most points and I'm going to own that thing. Okay, I'm talking like if uh, The Hatchet was worth five or ten points, I want the book that's worth 82,392 points, okay? So I looked it up, checked it out from the library, Moby Dick. Has anyone ever read Moby Dick? That was not part of a class? No? Okay, good. If you had your hand up to begin with and you still kept it up, I would have said, why? <laughs> Why did you read this, okay? I, I got to tell you, I completed Moby Dick when I was 24, okay? That's a true story. I re, I, every day in middle school, I carried it around. I re-rented it from the library constantly so that I could complete this thing, and no one else was checking it out. Uh, but I finished reading it when I was 24, and I asked myself the same question. Why did I read this? It's like an ex- encyclopedia on Whaling. It is uh, it's crazy. But the whales that we're talking about this morning aren't large mammals that uh, are white, and Ahab's chasing down on a boat, and there's crew members that Starbucks, the coffee company, is named after. So those are the best parts about, about uh, Moby Dick. We're talking about something that is heavy, and something that is large, and something that my family has dealt a lot with. Um, And uh, to kind of intro this to you, I'm going to ask you to do something. Everyone hold out your hand. I'm not going to give you anything. Sorry. Open it up like as wide as you possibly can. Just open it up. A speaker did this to me once, and I have never, ever forgotten it. Okay? Because if, I mean, what you got to do, and I see some people, they're already failing, right? Keep them open wide. It's hard, right? It's almost like there is something in us that we naturally just wanna relax and close our hands, right? And basically what he was saying was having this posture of giving and of selflessness is not something that necessarily comes naturally to us. Like we have to work at it because if we just let our guard down, we, we take and we're selfish. You can put your hands, hands down now. What my family has struggled with is people have taken uh, a lot from us, both within our family and outside of our family. And my family struggles with the wail of unforgiveness, of holding resentment, and of holding grudges. To kind of give you a little idea, I don't, maybe I'm the only one in the room, but my family has a lot of dysfunction, okay? I'll give you just some brief highlights, okay? I have an uncle who is his own nephew and his own, own uncle. Okay, I'm going to let you think about that, all right? It's out there. I have relatives who are in the world's oldest profession, okay? If you don't know what that is, ask someone else. I have two cousins that are in prison. I have a cousin who is in prison for a DUI where someone else uh, died in a car accident. It was not his first time. But it goes beyond dysfunction just within my family. It goes outside of my family as well. Uh, My dad witnessed a mass murder whenever he was, uh, whenever I had just been born, actually. My sister has been trapped inside of an office building while it was being robbed, um, and she was trapped inside of, her ha- uh, inside of her office. I, some of you guys know this, some of you guys don't, have been kidnapped, <laughs> okay? Part of my story, it's uh, crazy. I'll tell you a little bit more about that later, but what I guess I'm trying to say is, yeah, we got dysfunction in our family, but just a lot of stuff has happened to us. We've been through a lot of messed up stuff. Um, My dad's dad, um, some people call them grandfathers, kind of stepped out of the picture whenever my dad was a kid. Uh, He was, I think, four or five years old. He went out for a pack of cigarettes and never came back, never showed up to another birthday party, never called again home, never sent him letters, never sent him cards. And some of you guys know exactly what that's like. It's hard. It's hard for his mom. It's hard for him growing up as a a boy without a a father figure inside of the house. Forty years go by, and my dad still had never spoken a word to his dad. Had never seen him since. Had never heard from him since. um, Had never contacted him. My uncle called him one day and said, you know, hey, you know, he's, my uncle's a little bit older than my dad. And he's not his own nephew, so don't worry about it. And he said, hey, um, you know, I've been in contact with dad a little bit, and I found out that, that he's going to die. Like, he's, he's very sick. He's at the end of his life. You should call him. And my dad's response was, why? What has this guy ever done for me in my life? When did he show up for my birthday party, or when I needed someone to teach me what it was like to be a man, when did he ever show up? Why should I give him the, the honor of calling him and talk to, talking to him after, after so many years? My mom's half-sister, her name's Karen, uh, and Karen is kind of the black sheep of the family, and you know it's pretty hard if the black sheep of your family is not the one that's in prison for the DUI. Uh, Karen left home when she was really young. Um, she uh, entered into professions that were not the the best ones, Um, she became addicted to drugs and alcohol and started a cycle of manipulation within our family. And over and over, um, she burned people around her. And when she'd burned enough people in the North Carolina area, when I was 16, after never hearing uh, from Karen before, never seeing her before, never talking to her before, she showed up in my small hometown of Vero Beach, Florida, like a bomb dropping into my family. <laughs> Chaos, drama, everywhere. Because her old habits, her old cycles, they hadn't changed. Like She still, she would have this thing, it was uh, almost like, what's it called whenever you, um, you hear about a sickness and you're like, oh yeah, I got that too. Hypochondria, something like that, hypochondriac. She would hear something, someone's like, oh, I got the black lung, Pops. And she'd be like, oh, I have the black lung too. And I have all these medical bills that I need paid. And she would get money for medical conditions that didn't actually exist, and so there was a lot of drama going on in those situations. Well, came by, uh, came out probably 2003 uh, that she actually did have a terminal disease. You know, at that point she's cried wolf so many times, like the family's really like, I and mean, we're not really sure if if Karen's being for real with this, you know. Karen joins a church up in North Carolina, a small Baptist church. I'm so sorry. I tried to get her to go to church in the Nazarene, but it just didn't happen. I'm just playing. I love Baptists. But she starts attending this small church, and she starts reaching out to the family um, to, to ask for forgiveness. And I remember one time, uh, she had just starting to get kind of interested in family in general, and she's posting pictures of me and my siblings in her, on her Facebook. Like, she's uploading them there so that she can see them whenever or wherever she is. But she doesn't realize whenever she uploads pictures of us and says, yeah, that's Eddie, that I get a notification, or if it's one of my sisters, they get a notification. And so apparently, my sisters caught wind that my aunt, who has burned the family over and over, had been posting pictures of them on Facebook. Not bad ones, good ones. And, uh, and just started up some drama. And Karen sent me this... Uh, Facebook message, just to kind of give you an idea. This is the first Facebook message, the first written message of any kind that I had ever received from my aunt. And she just said, I wanted to say I'm sorry to you and your wife about the pictures. I was told that you you children were upset. I didn't know pictures would show up on Facebook when I put them in my pictures. You're my nephew and I'm not a part of your life. And the only way that I can have memories is from these pictures. I've wanted to be a part of your life, but I haven't really done that well either. I don't have long to live, and I just wanted some pictures of you and your lovely wife. She's so beautiful. Man, she was right about that. She was, she is, it's true. I love you, Eddie, and I always will. I'm so, so, so very sorry. I erased all the pictures, and please tell Yana I'm sorry too. And to each one inside of the family, Karen wrote messages and said, hey, I'm so sorry for the things that I've done, so sorry. But this is within a couple of months and she has 40 years of history of manipulation. And so part of my family is kind of holding back, and they're going, all right, what's the game this time, Karen? Really? Okay, you're playing church, right? You're asking for forgiveness, but there's something at the end of this. I'm waiting for the ask that's going to happen where you're going to burn us again. Why should we give this forgiveness to you now when all you've done is lie and steal and manipulate? It's December 18th. It was a cold and rainy day in Nashville, Tennessee, and I was at a gas station right outside of a Walmart, and I was filling up my gas. I was on my way to go pick up Yana from a job that she was doing babysitting, and a guy came up to me. His name uh, apparently was Joe, and he said, hey man, I'm not one of those crazy guys, okay? I'm not asking you for money or anything like that. I actually just went up to this service station to see if they had a towing service. My car broke down about two miles up the street, and my wife and my baby are inside of the car. And man, it's cold, and it's dark, and it's raining, and is there any way that I can just pay you to take me down the street? Because I don't want to walk all the way back and be without them for any longer. I just want to wait for a tow truck with my family. I said, Phew don't worry about it, man, like, (laughs) jump in the car, you know? And so he gets in, I'm like, hey, you know, my name's Eddie, and he's like, yeah, my name's Joe, nice to meet you. And so we start talking, he's like, you know, Joe's like, what do you do? And I was like, well, I'm a pastor down the street, and start telling him about my church, and telling him about all these different things. And as Joe's starting to talk, and he's talking about being from Detroit, and some different things like that, and I'm looking down this straight road where his car is supposed to be, I slowly start to get this rising sense of like I've made a terrible mistake, all right? Because I get to the area where he says his car is and I say, so where's your car? And he says, man, Eddie, you seem like a really nice guy. I'm sorry I gotta do this to you. And he takes out a knife and he puts it to my back and says, but give me all your money. This is a little bit more colorful than that, but uh, in essence, that's what he said. To which I replied, are you for real? <laughs> I was like, this is real life. Like, this is really happening right now, you know? Uh, and he assured me that it was very real and very serious. And so I was in an area of town uh, at that point where I didn't know where an ATM was to pull out money, and he had obviously chosen the wrong guy to pull out money from their bank account. Uh, I, yeah, yeah. He found out because I could only pull out so much. Um, and Joe starts talking to me and it was a really weird thing when I'm telling the story, it's a, it's a part of the story that I typically don't tell, but Joe started telling me about his life growing up, which is just really weird when you're being kidnapped. Okay. Cause he's like making excuses to me, you know, he's like, man, I just had a really hard life growing up in Detroit on the streets. You know, you got to do what you got to do to survive. And I'm like, yes, yes. Keep talking, pull the knife away, you know, those kind of things. And he starts talking to me about being a pastor, okay? And he says, with a knife held to my back, I hope that you can find it within your heart one day to forgive me. It's weird. (laughs) Weird. But I mean, that's kind of a bold ask, right? I mean, he's in the process of kidnapping me, asking uh, for forgiveness, and in each one of these situations, the people, they knew that they were, they were causing harm, right? They were causing distress, but they probably, di- they probably didn't really realize the depths of hurt that their sin would have on the people involved. The consequences of their sins reached deeper levels than they probably realized. Because it caused us senses of abandonment, right? Of loneliness, of fear, of betrayal, of just injustice. In this series, we're looking at the prayers of a man who experienced loneliness and betrayal and fear and injustice to the, to the utmost degree. Fully God, fully man, Jesus Christ on earth. We're looking at the prayers that he prayed to God the Father and hoping that through those prayers, we can learn how to live in closer relationship with God ourselves. Last week, we, we left off, Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane, um, and he's praying to God, saying, you know, your will, not my will be done, we're, we're in the series of letting go, we're letting go of the rope, right, and saying, God, I want to stop this whole game of tug-of-war with you, your will, not my will be done. This week, we are, are picking up, Jesus has been put on trial, sentenced to death by crucifixion, um, one of the worst forms of the death penalty. His followers have scattered. Um, Peter, the rock, has denied him. Some of the very people that he was ministering to are now the ones that are hurling insults to him and calling for his death. They were even given the option between releasing Jesus or releasing a murderer. And they chose the murderer. If that's not betrayal, I don't know what is. Jesus abandoned betrayed, his human nature filled with fear, and in the most unjust moment in history was put on a cross, sentenced to death. And as he hung, there was a thief hanging on the cross to his left and a thief hanging on the cross to his right. And to kind of pour salt inside of the wounds, the soldiers below his feet even were gambling for his clothes. And in the midst of all this, Jesus prays, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. Now, hopefully, one of the things I do in student ministry um, that I want to do for you guys today is kind of wake up a little bit to what's really going on here. Like, we hear sometimes these words and these verses, and we just, we kind of take them for, for what we've always heard them to be, and we never really think about what's going on in the passage I mean, think about that. If we were to, to put this situation in something far less unjust, far less uh, of an experience as being on a cross, we'd say, my dad, his first birthday, his dad's not there, and someone walks up to my dad and said, hey, boy, I'm so sorry that your dad hasn't called. I'm so sorry that he's not there for you, but he probably just doesn't know what he's doing, so you should forgive him. It's like, say what? Right? The 10th time my, my grandmother had had her money manipulated away from her by my aunt, and someone comes to her and says, yeah, she probably doesn't know what she's doing, right? Just forgive her, forgive her. That's weird, right? The pizza delivery guy, that, and I'll tell you the whole story if you guys wanna hear it sometime, just come talk to me. Pizza delivery guy that ended up saving my life as I'm running down the street away from my kidnapper. If he would've turned around and been like, hey man, just forget about it. Uh, he probably didn't know what he was doing. That's not true, right? If we're reading that and we say that the soldiers that put him on the cross and the people who that are calling for his death don't know what they're doing, that's not really what this verse is talking about, right? That doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense at all. I think instead of him just saying, God, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing, Right? Jesus is teaching us a different way to respond to the brokenness that other people cause in life to us. He responded dramatically different than you or I would respond. See, so you, you and I, we, uh, we kind of carry around these gavels. Oh man, I've been waiting all day to do that. All day. We kind of carry around these gavels, Right? And when someone does something wrong to us, we decide to be the defendant, right? Something has been done against us. We decide to be the lawyer, and we decide to be the judge. We say, you've done something against me? Well, then I'm going to hold back my forgiveness from you, right? Because I'm going to punish you. Like, this is my punishment for you inside of this situation so that justice could be had. May it be so. <laughs> and we do this weird thing uh, where we feel like we're punishing other people or we're, we're creating justice inside of a situation where an injustice has been done by holding resentment and harboring that, that hatred and that anger towards someone else and just holding on to it as tight as we can. Right? It's the total opposite of this. It's all about this. Now, there's a really weird parallel here that I want to make Just to put an image in your mind, uh, and I'm not calling you any names, okay? But it's how African tribal members used to capture baboons. All right. No harm came to the baboon, all right? No harm came to the baboon. But it kind of gives us this crazy example, right? We feel like we're dispensing justice whenever we are harboring our resentment towards someone and we're holding on to it and we're going, how dare you do that to me? You're holding on to it as tight as you can, but what we don't realize is our own holding on to this resentment, our own holding on to this forgiveness that we haven't given, is the same thing that's keeping us inside of the enemy's trap. You see, truth be told, in holding a grudge against someone, you give that person more power over you and your actions and your response than they would have otherwise. So you and me, we're not really good at being judge, right? I mean, think about this. Um, and I'll give you a couple of different examples. But think about this. Let me ask you a, uh, a very basic question. I had this happen to me a couple months ago. Maybe you've had it happen to you. If you live in Houston, you probably do. Uh, but imagine your TV was stolen, okay? Someone has broken into your house, and injustice has been done, Your TV has been stolen. Okay? How many of you would immediately go to the costume store, pick out a green outfit, cut a couple eye holes and a green bandana, get a bow and arrow, and serve justice yourself? I will hunt them down. No, I'd call the cops, right? <laughs> like, I called the police whenever someone broke into my house because I trust that police officers are gonna look into the situation. They have trained detectives. They're going to, uh, they're going to find all the evidence and they're going to put them into a, a court, right? And then that person goes to court. They stand before a jury. The jury hears them and the and with the judge sentences them, um, and the the judgment happens there, right? So even in our, our everyday ordinary lives when injustices have been done, like we trust other humans with it, right? And we know that our judicial system is not perfect, right? I mean, there's, that's why Making the Murderer is so popular on Netflix right now. It's because it's like, you know, we're like, oh my goodness, the, is, he, is he innocent? Is he not innocent? You know, all these different things. It's, uh, it's this human form of, of justice. So why is it, if we can, we can trust a human, with the, the, the dispension of justice inside of the situations when it happens in our own hearts, when someone has done an injustice here, that we feel like we need to be the judges, that we feel like we need to be the one to dole out the punishment, right? If we get it wrong in other places, we're gonna get it wrong here too, right? Because newsflash, we're sinful creatures. But we serve a God who is perfect, and we serve a God who is holy, and we serve a God who is loving. So why not, instead of dispensing this justice ourselves, being the judge ourselves of this situation, we say, God, you take the gavel. You be the judge of this situation. You be the judge of what's going on here, and I'm just going to release it let it go, let it go to you. This is how we can love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us by realizing that while we've been hurt that the judgment is ultimately up to God and all we're doing when we're holding out that resentment and we're holding out that anger is giving more power to the person that has harmed us to to begin with, right? If we believe that God is ultimately and truly just, then we can fully and completely trust him with the wrongs that have been done against us. The three stories I told earlier um, all have a common ending. Um, All the members involved in all three of those situations have passed away. In this first situation, um, my grandfather passed away, and my dad never spoke to him. He let the time come, and he let the time pass. And in conversations with my dad, I can tell you, even though he may never admit it, Anytime he talks about that situation, there's a weight that still carries heavy on him. Because he said, he doesn't deserve it. I've made my decision. I've made my judgment. He doesn't deserve forgiveness. My Aunt Karen passed away this week, actually. um, After struggling for a few years with all the the disease and sickness. And um, this past Christmas, uh, there was a big drama that went on with my family because my Aunt Karen surprised everyone by coming down for Christmas. And a few of my family members refused to even come into the house that she was staying in. And I talked to those family members on the phone now that she's passed. I said, I wish I would have known. I wish I would have known that this was going to be it because I felt like I was doing this like righteous thing. But instead, she's passed on, and I'm left with all the weight, and I'm left with all the hurt, and I'm never, never going to get the chance to forgive her. The, uh, the guy that kidnapped me uh, passed away, and I'll tell you that story a different time. Um, but I was sitting in the car with him and said, I don't know if you can believe me, <laughs> but I, I don't hold any, anything against you for this happening. I said, I know like, you're holding a knife to my back, so I kind of have to say that right now. <laughs> but I really don't. I can, I can find it in my heart to forgive you. And I don't know what happened with him. I don't know, um, I mean, I know the story of how he passed, but I don't know where he was in, in terms of his relationship with God. Um, but I really do hope and I really do pray that he was able to find forgiveness um, inside of the, the jail cell that he ended up in. Before we close, um, i got a couple more things I want to talk to you about. Let's, uh, let's check in on a couple of our friends, Marlon and Dory, and find out what happened with them. It turned out okay. It turned out okay. We're alive. We're alive. Letting go of the gavel, releasing the, the deepest hurts that people have, have caused to you, the resentments that you still hold, can be a scary thing right, like hanging on to that whale's tongue going, I don't know if it's going to be okay, but I got to let go. I got to trust that the one who is just and the one who is loving will take care of that situation and take care of the pain and the hurt uh, that I've I've experienced in this. But one of the things uh, that I want to talk to you about is that God is not asking us to do in this situation. He's not asking us to do anything that he has not already done for us. If you could close your eyes. I'm gonna read you a passage of scripture. It's not gonna be on the screen. I just kinda want you to hear it and try to hear it with a fresh mind and a fresh attitude in light of Jesus' prayer today. It's the parable of the unforgiving debtor. Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times? Nah, not seven times, Jesus replied. Seventy times seven. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who decides to bring his accounts up to date with servants who had borrowed money from him. And in one of these situations, one of the debtors was brought in who owed him like a million dollars. He couldn't pay. So his master ordered that he be sold, along with his wife, his children, and everything he owned, in order to pay off the debt. But the man fell down before his master and begged him, please be patient with me, I will pay all of it. Then his master was filled with pity for him, and he just released him, forgave him of his debt. He's alive, he's free. But when the man left... He went to a fellow servant who owed him a few thousand dollars, a drop in the bucket. He grabbed him by the throat and demanded instant payment. His fellow servant fell down before him and begged him for a little bit more time, please, please, just be patient with me. I'll pay it. I'll pay it. But his creditor wouldn't wait. He had the man arrested and put in prison until the debt could be paid in full. And one of the, some of the other servants saw this. They were very upset. They went back to the king, the one who had forgiven him of a million dollars. And they told him everything that had happened. Then the king called in the man that he had forgiven and said, you evil servant, I forgave you a tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? on you. Then the angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured until he had paid off his debt. This is the heaviest part. That's what my heavenly father will do to you if you forget if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. You guys can open up your eyes. It's heavy, right? It's heavy. But the reality is it's good news guys. Because we are the people who have also done wrong and that our sins have had far deeper and farther reaching consequences than we ever could have possibly thought or imagined. Most of us don't think about when we do something wrong that we were the ones putting nails in the hands of Jesus, hanging him on the cross, right? He died so that we could be forgiven of those sins. It's farther reaching than we realize there. It's farther re- reaching than we realize with the people that are around us. And we have separated ourselves from a perfect and holy and loving God. Like that's the effect. That's the consequence of our sin. And God said, man, that's a huge debt. But I'll, I'll forgive it for you. I'll forgive it for you. I want to be in relationship with you. I want to do this thing. And so Jesus here inside of this is saying, man, whatever anyone else has done for you is nothing in comparison to what you've done with God. And if you want God to forgive you of that million dollar debt, then you've got to forgive people that are around you. You've got to offer that forgiveness to your brothers and sisters because even though it seems like a big deal, I've already forgiven you of something far greater. I've already given you freedom and life and you need to extend that into this other situation. And in Jesus's prayer, it's, it's interesting how he passes the, uh, the buck here because Jesus isn't hanging on the cross and says, <clears throat> attention guys down below me who are gambling over my clothes. Hey, guys, who put this uh, hat of thorns, crown of thorns on my head? I forgive you, which he could have, right? He, he passes the gavel and says, Father, I give the authority to, to judge in this situation. He's leading this example for us over to you. And God, I'm asking that you would forgive them of this sin. It's kind of crazy for us. When someone does something wrong to us, it's a, it's a world of difference between responding in, and going, God, they've, they've hurt me, and they've done wrong to me. But man, in doing wrong to me, they've separated themselves from you and realizing that that's the greater hurt, that that's the greater pain, and going, God, this is your call, man. But all I can say is have mercy, because you have given mercy to me. Bring love, because you have brought love to me. Would you guys pray with me? Here's what I want to do. As you're praying, I don't know if any of these stories have sparked off something in your mind, where you have... Realized a resentment that you've been holding or someone that you have not forgiven inside of your life yet. But would you clench your fist as you think about those situations, as you think about those people who have done wrong to you, the feelings that you have toward them? And as we pray, release your hand and feel the release that comes with handing the authority, handing the gavel over to God. God, we are so sorry for the things that we've done in our lives to separate ourselves from you. And God, we are so, so thankful that you have chosen to love us, that you have chosen to forgive us and show us mercy and show us grace in spite of situations where, where we didn't deserve it. And God, right now, we give you the people that have brought injustices to us, who've done us wrong, who've caused us pain, who have stolen from us, who have betrayed us, who have backstabbed us, who who have caused us sleepless nights and tears. God, we pray for them. We hand you the gavel and say, The things that they've done against you is far greater. God, we pray for mercy. We pray for truth to be spoken inside of their lives so that they can have a face-to-face encounter with you. God, we pray that as you have forgiven us, that you help us let go and forgive those, those people. God, we give you authority in our lives and authority in our hearts to be the one who holds the gavel. God, I pray as the the weight drifts off of us, as we are letting go of some of the deepest hurts and pains inside of our lives, that, God, you would replace it with freedom, that you would replace it with your, your light burden. God, help us feel alive, be alive, bringing grace and truth and mercy and love into every situation, every conflict that we experience. We love you, and we pray this in your name. Amen.
1: Amen. Would you stand with me? Thank you, Eddie. What a great word from the Lord today. Aren't you glad and aren't you thankful for the mercy and the freedom that we have in Jesus and the grace that we have? You can say yes. Aren't you glad that we don't have to have the responsibility of being the judge? We're not very good judges, are we? We're not called to be judges. We have a great Father who is. And so we're thankful today that we don't have to be the judge, that we don't hold the gavel. This week uh, is all about uh, leading up to Sunday. And just a little bit of a homework assignment. I'm going to give you two homework assignments. If you're like me today, maybe God's been telling you something through His Word, through maybe a story that you heard, and maybe there's an action to that story or to that voice from the Lord. Don't just hear what God has said to you and do nothing how many times have we walked out of these doors and done nothing with the voice of god who's spoken to us for the last 30 minutes let's go and do what god's called us to do and the other part of this is next sunday we're going to come and we are going to celebrate the resurrection we're going to celebrate a risen savior and lord but don't come next sunday surprised by the day come prepared for the day how do you prepare for the day all this week. I just invite you to join me. I'm going to be reading every day just the ends of the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Read about the cross. Read about the resurrection. Begin to have verses just pour into your heart and your mind. Pray for Sunday. Pray for those who are coming who maybe this is the only time of the year they come to church. Pray that God would prepare your voice, your heart, your mind, and their hearts and minds as we get ready to worship next Sunday. Friday night, Good Friday at 7 o'clock, Sunday morning, 9 o'clock and 11 o'clock breakfast in between. Now go today in the grace and the peace of knowing that our sins have been forgiven and that our, our hands are off the gavel today. Go and have a wonderful Sunday with your family.